We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. On the slate tonight, uh, pretty much multiple games on the slate uh, every night through the first round and most of the second round. Uh, make sure you're doing that over at WinBet. Alex Barutha, back on the pod. A lot to get through. Um, we, we have three days now, uh, three days and nights uh, full of NBA playoff action to reflect on. Uh, as usual, when we're doing a pod like this in the afternoon, I, I don't want to dive too deep on the three games that we have coming at us tonight, just because there, there's not a ton of shelf life in discussing games that tip off within the next few hours, but we have Hawks heat, Timberwolves, Grizzlies, and Pelican Suns on the schedule tonight. I'm just going to ask you a, a general question. I'm sure you've watched a ton of basketball over the last three days, as have I. What is the number one impression, takeaway, uh, opinion change uh, that you have after these last few days? Yeah, the one of the main things that stands out to me, partially because I just saw it again yesterday, but was how bad the nuggets are right now or i guess conversely how good the warriors are um it's just like i i figured the nuggets weren't going to win this series uh you know unless steph curry wasn't 100 percent, but they look completely lost right now i don't know if it's i don't know if it's coaching like they have clear it seems like they have no idea what to do on defense obviously they're getting almost nothing on offense from anyone uh outside of Jokic. And again, it's not that surprising, but it's been it's been really, really bad for them. Um, and I thought they'd at least be semi-competitive, and it looks like that's not even remotely going to be the case. All right, so I was hoping you wouldn't say Warriors because that was my biggest takeaway as well. <laughs> and, and at least you made it a little bit more <laughs> about the Nuggets. Uh, the Nuggets are, are a disaster right now outside of Nikola Jokic. And even last night, uh, the stat line looked okay, but it didn't really feel like he had much of an imprint on that game. Of course, he gets tossed late in the game. Michael Malone, they kept panning to him, and it it honestly felt like he was just stuck in the same position for the entire yeah. second half, where he was he was just kind of like in mid frame, like staring off into nowhere as Jordan <laughs> Poole and Clay Thompson and Stephen Curry are splashing in three after three after three, and it was amazing to me that during that entire run, which seemed like it lasted two full quarters, where the Warriors were like not missing any shots, they're throwing everything behind the back, uh, like that was as dangerous as the Warriors have looked or any team has looked, I thought, in a very long time. And somehow the deficit was only like 20 the entire time. Like it never, it never seemed to get above 20. Uh, so Denver was, was finding ways to respond and keep it from, from getting completely out of control. But by the time Jokic was kicked out of the game, you could tell he had decided in his mind, I am getting kicked out. It was not a controversial tech by any means. I mean, he, I think it was a, either a missed call that he thought was missed um, or, or vice versa. And he, you know, marched right over to the official and knew exactly what he was doing. Uh, so the frustration, you know, has boiled over for Denver 
Um, we had, we had Will Barton and DeMarcus Cousins getting into it from what reporters were saying for like a full 10 minutes. We, we only saw like a 15 second glimpse of it on the telecast, but uh, our, our man Harrison Wind at DNVR was like, yeah, this is still going on uh, well after it was shown on TV. So I'm ready to cross off Denver. I, I think that almost goes without saying at this point. I mean, unless something major changes in the series, but my biggest takeaway is I, I wouldn't say I, I like I, I definitely was not crossing off Golden State as a potential Western Conference Finals representative or even NBA Finals representative, but I, I had kind of put them down a level uh, almost on the same level of a team like Memphis, where I would have said those teams are, are like a 50-50. We're only one game in to that Grizzlies-Timberwolves series. We're two games in to Golden State-Denver. But all of a sudden, like, I, I found myself well, last night, like, looking ahead, just mentally simulating the next round and saying, like, I hope we get seven games of Suns-Warriors. Because as of right now, that seems like where we're headed. It could be. Yeah, I mean, especially if they I, – I, I don't know what to think of – because it's going to hinge on this Grizzlies Wolves series, right? And if the Wolves actually manage to beat the Grizzlies, then it'll be a little interesting. Um, I, yeah, I mean, Suns, um, Suns Warriors could end up being incredible. Uh, and I still think, you know, Suns Grizzlies could be incredible, but just the way that the Warriors are playing on a completely different level right now, obviously. Yeah. And I think some of that is Denver, but I agree. Like, I, I, I think that series. Warriors Suns would have the most potential for uh like one of the greatest Western Conference finals in recent memory. Yeah, last night especially and game one to a slightly lesser degree felt like a reminder of what the Warriors are and how good the Warriors are. Uh almost a cognizant reminder. Like, you know, not only are they are they blowing out this Denver team, but it was more so like the way they were doing it, right? I mean, that felt like that truly felt like a game that was spliced out of the 2015-16 season. You know, like the, the, yeah. the amount of embarrassment level that was that was on display. Like there were a couple times where like either Curry or Poole or Clay uh, hit a shot. And like I was honestly scared that the Nuggets player that they were, you know, they, they were kind of getting in Denver's face. They're celebrating. Like I was worried that a Denver player was like going to take a swing or take a shove or something like it was getting to that point where there was almost like tension because of how much Golden State was showing up Denver, you know, in route to this 20 point lead. Uh, and obviously it boiled over, you know, kind of, a, you know, team on team crime, I guess for the Nuggets instead of retaliating at the Warriors. But man, that was a, that was a stern reminder, I think, to, to how explosive this team could be. And, you know, obviously they're never going to match that level that they, that they reached with Kevin Durant, but like Stephen Curry looked like peak Stephen Curry last night. That was, he only played like what, 24 minutes, something like that. That was one of his better games in a very long time. Clay Thompson, you know, he's, he's not fully back, but he's 90% of what he was. Draymond looks fine. Uh, But adding Jordan Poole to this mix, you know, I, I saw a lot of, people saying last night on Twitter, you know, like we need a new name for the Splash Brothers. Like, is he the third Splash Brother? I saw someone throw out uh, PTSD uh, as like the <laughs> nickname for that, for that Warriors lineup, which I'm like, I, I don't know if you can, like that, somebody's going to have some backlash about that, but that would yeah. be Poole, Thompson, Steph, Draymond. Uh, I don't know, not the worst. Uh, but I mean, it, it really feels like last night was the official graduation of Jordan Poole from nice streaky role player to like big time weapon for this team. I mean, he's leading the team in points right now. 59 points in the two games. Um, uh, 11 assists to Draymond's 15. So he's, mm-hmm. I, you know, he's been ridiculous. Um, like him and Tyrese Maxey, like two yeah. young guys who during the season we were like, this has been awesome, like most improved player candidates. But let's see it in the playoffs. And both of them have stepped up. Um, yeah, Poole's been awesome. All right, I told you we would get to this later, but we're just going to do it now. We'll jump around a little bit uh, in our unseen agenda for the listeners. But there is a, a tweet from Josh Eberly, who we've referenced a number of times on this pod. He's always throwing out great discussion topics uh, that are pretty much perfect for, for our type of medium. But uh, he tweeted earlier today, heading into next season, rank the following players. And for, this, for the purposes of this, we're not talking fantasy. We're just saying, like, who would you want on your team? Maxi, Poole, Jalen Brunson, Tyler Hero, uh, and for some reason, Colin Sexton is included on this <laughs> list, but uh, an interesting inclusion nonetheless. This is for just next season? Yeah, or... just for next season. Um, or maybe if you want, you can assume that you're getting that player for the next few years, so, however you want to take it. Right. Um, I think if I was just getting them for next year, maybe Maxi. I mean, I like his size compared to Poole, um, but... I don't know, man. It's tough. I mean, I think 
I think Maxi and Poole are are both over hero right now. Brunson's tough because he's he's like such specific. He's like specifically a point guard. Um, that Sexton thing's a little confusing. Um, he'd be last on the list for me, I think, behind yeah. Hero. Although it's kind of close. I mean, it's not like Sexton's really worse than Hero. Right. Well, the timing is killing Sexton here because, I mean, for one, Brunson is Brunson had 41 points last night, and you know, yeah. like, will Dallas to a win? It's like his stock is super high in the moment. So is Maxi. So is Pools. I mean, Hero's stock has been high all year, and then you throw in a guy who hasn't played since opening night. Right. Um. Man. I think I'm going Maxi, but it's close between. I think it's close between him and Poole, Honestly, it's it's hard because you almost have to project these guys because what you're kind of doing is you're taking these. They're sort of role players, sort of third options, and I guess the thought has to be which of these players is most likely to turn into a superstar. Who has like this kind of superstar profile? And um, it's tough, you know, because Maxi again, because they're all third options, right? It's hard to know, like, what do these guys look like as potentially a number one option. And, you know, we could do all sorts of stuff with, like, on, off court, blah, blah, blah. Not yeah. going to go through that whole thing. But I do think Maxi and Poole look more like potential superstars than the rest of that group. I think so, too. I think so, too. And I, there's something about Poole that's been on display lately. And, you know, he certainly benefited from, you know, one of Curry or Clay basically being hurt all year. I think that's fostered a little bit more development than even the Warriors would have expected, but there, there's something about it. Like the way he was playing last night was, it, it wasn't like, you know, like we've, we've seen guys like, I don't know, like Malik Monk, you know, have nights like this, but there's something when you're watching it where you're like, all right, some of these shots are a little lucky. Like as, as much of a microwave, <laughs> you know, heat check score as Malik Monk is, he's a great player. Uh, but like, no, I don't think there's anyone out there saying like, Malik Monk is going to be a superstar someday. There's a reason he's not included on lists like this. Like the things that Poole was doing, like even as a passer, I think he had eight assists last night, like a couple of no look behind the back drop-offs. He had one to be a Lipsa late in the game. Um, like he's, he's no longer that type of guy where I think at the end of last year, it was like, Oh, on any given night, Jordan Poole can give you 28 points, but he's going to have two rebounds and one assist. I, I think he's shown off a little bit more versatility and it, it's not that hero doesn't have that. Uh, and, and maybe heroes just kind of been in more of a, a reduced role on a deeper team, even though Miami's been banged up too. But um, I mean, if, if hero's like your third or fourth option on this list, that's saying a lot. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think, I, I think pool is a guy who I think he's just tougher to guard. Um, yeah. Like his shooting percentages aren't better than heroes, but I think it's just when he, you know, how slipper he is, he can get the step pack going. It's just, you, you think about like you know, what happens when this guy actually starts hitting down Mm -hmm. uh those shots like a higher clip or just like is a complete knockdown yeah. on his open jumpers it's kind of how we i think you and i both feel about like jalen green it's like if he can just hit right. his jumper it's like the the level he goes up multiple levels at that yeah point. right and jalen green is, is probably another level up as an athlete uh and obviously younger oh, yeah, yeah. I, I i think what's interesting about this is i i think philly golden state and miami would all just keep their guy i don't think any of those guys would would swap one for the other. I think they're all, I think right. they would all say the answer is our guy, you know, Brunson and Dallas. I don't know. It's hard to say. Like he, like I said, he's the guy who's arguably the hottest out of all these uh, players right now. So maybe Dallas would join that crew as well. Maxi, by the way, since the all-star break. So this includes games one and two against Toronto. Since the break, he's averaging 19.6 points, 3.7 assists, 2.8 rebounds, 54% from the field, 87% at the line, 49% from three on five and a half attempts. Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the things that sticks out to me about Maxi is his lack of turnovers. You look at his per 36 numbers, it's 4.4 assists to 1.2 turnovers. So he's basically got like a little under a, th a little under a four assist to turnover ratio while he's also scoring basically 20 points a game, um, which is crazy. You know, I think that's that's a really underrated part of what can make players great. Um, and it helps yeah. that, you know, he's not the entire focus. Uh, you know, he's got a beat around in this later stretch. He's as hardened. So it's not like the best defenders are, are being put on him. And like, I think that's kind of where some of this conversation gets tough where it is like, yeah, these guys are playing amazing, but they're never getting like the best of the attention of the best defender on the other team or very rarely. Mm -hmm. Is that are, are they getting like all the defensive focus? So some of the conversation is like, who do you think can thrive 
despite having a tongue of defensive focus. Um, last night, based after last night, you'd say it's Brunson. Um, but I, I, I look, I, I love Jalen Brunson. A lot of that Utah just, I don't know what Utah was doing. I know. Well, I agree with you. That game that was I, what I, I don't know. I it did not really make sense how he was getting so many open looks. I, I, I don't know if Utah is is just giving up internally. I mean, there's no reason to be losing <laughs> that game. There's no reason game one should have been as close as it was. No, I know. I'm not saying I take Brunson. I'm just saying, yeah. like, well, the size I agree Brunson with you. I, I caught, I caught the second half of that game, and it's like I, I'm watching this, and I'm just like, how many right corner threes are they going to give up? It's like, it's like every third possession is just a wide open corner three. Yeah. How does this keep happening? It's like I, I felt like I was going crazy. Yeah, just like deja vu over and over and over again. Um, yeah, that's that was crazy. To your point on Maxi about the turnovers, which I think is a really good one. And I, I know you you kind of couched it in the fact that, like, yeah, maybe he's not being guarded by the, the opponent's best player. But I, I don't know. If you're out there for 35 to 40 minutes most nights and you're committing zero to one to two turnovers, I, I don't care who's guarding you or what your responsibility is. That's pretty impressive. And he, he has three games all season uh, in which he's had more than three turnovers. And in all three of those, he had four. So no game all year where you've had more than four turnovers and two of those three games with four turnovers came in the first month of the season. So basically like one of his last 60 games, uh, he's had more than three turnovers, which is insane. I mean, Chris Middleton had what, seven, eight the other day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I, I think that is, that is something that if you start scaling up players into bigger roles, like, I don't think that goes away entirely. Um, you know, taking care of the ball, that matters a lot. That's something that like, doesn't, it, it is in the box score, but people just like really don't pay attention to it that much where it's yeah. like, especially they kind of did with, with uh, Westbrook and Harden to some extent, because those numbers would get out of control. Yeah, yeah because they got to like eight or nine turnovers. In some yeah. Ways. And it's like at that point you, you yeah. kind of start noticing, but there are a lot of guys in the NBA who very subtly average like four or five turnovers a game. Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of hurts their teams more than people mm. uh, know. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. So there was a similar debate going around Twitter. I think it was from one of those like NBA Legion or NBA Central accounts. You know, where you're, I always just wonder like, where does this originate? Like what, what, who's running this? I don't know. Um, but they they had asked of the four, how would you rank uh, Hero, Pool, Maxi, and you know throwing out Brunson and Sexton and inserting Anthony Edwards? Is Edwards the automatic number one in that group? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think he is right. He's he's on a slightly different tier. You know, even even though the other three are are on the ascent and could all be potential all stars, to me it feels like Edwards is at least one level up. The stuff I've seen from Edwards down the stretch. Um crazy crazy man i mean just hitting his threes turned into a good passer the athleticism it really does seem like he is the one that's kind of bumping up against superstardom fortunately because he is he's basically been the number one option for them right like a towns is averaging much, more yeah. points a game but 
uh, anytime you watch the Wolves now um, or lately, it's like Russell or Anthony Edwards is just, he's the one where the offense is going through. He's bailing them out of possessions. Um, you know, D'Angelo Russell kind of takes a back seat sometimes. Towns has to take a back seat sometimes. I, it would be Edwards for me, number one. If I had to eliminate one of those guys, Hero Pool, Max, or Edwards, it would be Hero. Yeah, I, I think that's the correct answer as of now. And now, you know, watch watch Hero go for like 38 tonight yeah. against the Hawks, and we'll, we'll have the same talk tomorrow. But uh, the league is in good hands, I, I think, is the bottom line. Um, well, let, let's talk about eh, – Let's go. Let's go to Sixers Raptors, quick. I, I don't have a ton to say about this one. I know you and I, uh, as well as James, who, who talked about it last week, all felt like this was a potential upset series. I think it it almost felt like it reached the point where it became too popular of an upset, which led me to believe that it wouldn't happen. Uh, and you know, somewhat, you know, like the Sixers have played really well through these first two games. They're shooting fifty plus percent from the field. Everybody's playing well. Um, you know, Harden and Embiid are clicking at a level that we haven't seen in a few weeks. But at the same time, Scotty Barnes gets injured in game one. Gary Trent, you know, ended up playing last night, but was nowhere near 100%. Um, and suddenly this Raptors lack of depth beyond their top seven has been exposed. And I mean, I, I'm pretty close to declaring this one over. You know, we've seen Doc Rivers blow series. We've seen James Harden blow series. Uh, so we'll see how game three goes. I believe that one's on Wednesday. But, you know, obviously if the Sixers go up 3-0, I, I think it's going to be curtains. Yeah. Once I saw Scotty Barnes get injured, I'm like, well, that's yeah. That's and he's doubtful for game three. Right. Yeah. So as soon as that happened, I was like, and especially after, I mean, coming on the back of getting annihilated in game one, I mean, Embiid made them look terrible. I was feeling bad yeah. for precious Achua at some point. I'm like, can we, <laughs> this guy, it's going to need some sort of like yeah. assistance. Yeah. Well, last night wasn't a whole lot better. Right. Exactly. I, you know, I, I, I think some of the, discussion was oh the raptors are going i don't know man people started talking about the raptors like they were the 80s like like they were like they were the you know like they were the bulls uh like you know the 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 three peat bulls um oh, you're gonna say the just, ben gordon bulls the ben gordon <laughs> yeah um there's just not that and uh you can you can obviously they're well coached and they have guys but it's like at a certain point it sounds like stupid but you have to just keep asking okay but who is guarding joel and bead and you can be like well they're gonna double and they're gonna do this and that and it's like okay but yeah. but who is guarding him and it, it it sucks to break it down that simple but he's not even playing well and they're demolishing the raptors yeah i mean in terms of efficiency he's not uh right obviously he's just having his way uh with the big men and i think i think you and i may be underrated just how how much of a physical advantage he would have uh, like, cause on paper, it's like the, the Raptors have kind of been running like this weird three center rotation all year, but then you, you actually look at what these guys look like. And Chris Boucher weighs like 180 pounds, you know, Siakam, not that much bigger. Ken Birch uh, honestly seems like he's slimmed down over the past couple of years. Like they have nobody with the size to match up on Embiid. And it, it really seems like Embiid is just going in and doing what he can to draw a foul. Like he's not really, he wasn't really making a ton of moves. He's just like plowing his way in and kind of pump faking until he goes up and somebody slaps him on the arm. And you know, I know him and Nick Nurse kind of went at it a little bit at the end of that game. You know, Nick Nurse thinking that he's getting too many calls. That's a pretty good winning formula historically in the NBA is if you have a big man who is much bigger than anyone else on the other team, um, you know, the refs aren't, aren't going to call everything. But more often than not, you're going to get those calls, especially when you're probably going to be the MVP runner up. So I certainly don't fault the Sixers for that strategy. You know, we had said that the only, you know, we, we kind of expected, I guess, the Raptors to let Embiid get his, which he has. Um, I, I think we probably underrated the maxi factor and, you know, not, not that James Harden's been dominant, but he certainly hasn't killed them. You know, he's, he's played just fine. I, I think, you know, even when you factor in the expectations of who he is through these first two games. Yeah. I mean, they're, um, uh, Harden's having, you know, he's having trouble from two point range. Yeah. But Maxi's making up for that <laughs> shooting 69% from the field. So, right. um, yeah, I, I don't even know how much more there is to say just because they are they're just dominant right now. Yep. They don't have anybody to stop and beat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean honestly Harden's numbers now that I look at the box score were were worse than I, I would have thought when I was watching the game. But he's he's making the right play. I mean, like you said, there hasn't been a point where they they've never really needed James Harden to go get a bucket, no. you know, just because everyone else is playing so well. Uh but yeah, that that series looks like it's headed toward Philly. Um, do you have any thoughts on on Bucks Bulls? Uh, we get game two of that one uh, tomorrow night on Wednesday. 
Yeah, I mean, I I thought the 10-point spread for game one was kind of... I, I thought that was too much, but I didn't think it'd be that close of a game, uh, especially with the Bucks scoring only 93 points against the Bulls, who have a pretty bad defense. Yeah. Um, you know, Jan has played really well. Lope, we got You get 18 out of Lopez. Um, but... I don't know. It was just, it was a terrible game just to watch. Like everybody's just missing shots. Um, I don't even really know what to think about it. And I saw like the odds basically didn't shift at all after the series, which is not surprising or after the game, which is not surprising because Bucks still got the win. And it was just, I don't think anybody knows what to make of it. It was just, it was just bad basketball. Bucks very easily could have lost that game. You know, I mean, it felt like Vucevic bricked like eight wide open three pointers at the top of the key. Um, you know, Caruso had a couple big misses, DeRozan, Pat Williams, like both teams. I mean, Milwaukee couldn't shoot the ball at all, uh, but but Chicago was even worse. I mean, Milwaukee 10 of 38 from three, Chicago 7 of 37. I thought that was the worst Chris Middleton game of the entire season. I, I, don't, I don't think that's an exaggeration. I, I kind of went and looked back at the game logs. Um, I mean, for him to have seven turnovers, four of 13, one of seven from three. Uh, I thought virtually every buck except for Lopez and Giannis Played, played at a below average game. You know, Drew Holiday had some nice plays toward the end, but um, I was starting to have flashbacks of some of his games through the playoffs last year where you, you do, he would just have these nights where, you know, he's, he's, shooting, he's shooting mid-range jumpers and they're just like clanking onto the rim um, like he's shooting a medicine ball. You know, like he, he's just so hot and cold uh, on the offensive end, but, but obviously has such a high floor defensively. I, I guess my one takeaway, and then we can move on, is that if Chicago was going to steal one, I think this was it because I, I don't see Milwaukee – shooting the ball, especially at home, as poorly as they did in game one. I, I thought Grayson Allen, Pat Connaughton, those guys were massive, massive negatives. Javon Carter didn't give him anything. Um, I, I think some of those like peripheral three-point attempts are going to start to fall. I agree. I agree. I think there's still a chance they get one in Chicago. Uh, but, yeah, that's, I, don't, I don't think they're going to come close to winning this series. So we got news that Luka Doncic will likely be back for game three or game four. Uh, of their first round series against Utah. Uh, game three would arrive on Thursday. Game four, I believe, is Saturday. Um, I, game four to me seems like the safer bet, uh, you know, given just the timeline of this whole situation and, and the fact that they were able to, to even it at 1-1. I mean, now Thursday, in theory, kind of becomes more of a losable game if you know Luca's coming back for game four. But if you look at the series prices and uh, you know, our, our preferred sportsbook, DraftKings, is not listing... Uh, that series price. They pulled it after the Doncic news, but FanDuel still has Utah at minus 225 to win that series, which I, I, I will say it. I don't know if I agree with that. It's a tough series to read. Uh, last night's game was uh, troubling. If you, if you are backing the jazz uh, just because of like, it was just, it was like, they weren't even trying to like change up their defense. It was, it was just very bizarre. Um, and I know it's like it comes back to the Rudy Gobert thing, uh, but I don't know. I mean, Brunson and Dinwiddie are, are playing out of their minds. The thing is, if those guys, you know, I mean, they basically need both of those guys to have a good game. Like they have to combine for like, uh, what, 50 points a game, those two for, for the, the Dallas Mavericks to stand a chance. Um, so if they Pretty have much. one bat, yeah. So if they, if either one or both of them have a bad game um, or everybody else just can't shoot the basketball or for some reason, the defense slips, like it'll be pretty easy for them to lose a game like <laughs> 110 to 85. But uh, I just, they clearly have the correct game plan. Like they're winning the game plan battle uh, w- without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, they are. And you know, it's surprising considering who the head coach is for the Dallas Mavericks that that is the case. Um, I mean, Maxi Kleba going eight of 11 from three. I think that's the, the number one thing that stands out when you look at the box score. Dallas was 22 of 47 from three as a team. They took 18 more threes than Utah. And it's not like Utah is, you know, like the, the 2004 Pistons. You're like, you know, they, they're well known for taking threes themselves. But yeah, I, defensively, Utah was lost. Um, I mean, Mike Conley scoreless. In 22 minutes yeah. of this game, he's really fallen off this season. Um, it, it just seemed like this definitely not a must win for Utah with the uncertainty around Doncic. But I, I mean, especially with with the fact that it at least seems to be moving in the right direction with that calf. Um, I, I think we're going to look back at the end of the series and, and see this as the turning point of Utah. 
I mean, having a, a just a golden opportunity to go up 2-0 with Luka Doncic out of the lineup and and not being able to win that game. So I I'm with you. I don't really know exactly how the series plays out. It's it's so uh, you know hinging on Doncic's injury status. But I think even if they drop Game Three, uh, which will be at Utah, if Doncic is back at full strength for Game Four, I, I'm not picking against Dallas. I, I don't think Dallas is going to be worse with him in the lineup. Yeah, and especially because you know when I'm watching Utah on offense. I just have no idea who to trust outside of Donovan Mitchell and Bojan Bogdanovic. Like, yeah, their their depth as like it's the same guys, other than Joe Ingles being injured. It's the same team that we've seen the last couple of years. But I, I think there's like we haven't really talked enough about the the internal like fall off of Conley. Um, right. You know, Jordan Clarkson still good, but like not nearly as efficient as he was during his like career best year last year. Like, I don't like the, the roster just doesn't have a whole lot outside of those guys. You know, like you said, it's Royce O'Neal, who's kind of a defense only guy. Um, like Rudy Gay was playing decent minutes for this team in the regular season. Like they're, they're almost like, like Toronto in some ways where when you get beyond those like top six, top seven trusted guys, like the, not only is there a big fall off, but you're going, you're going down to guys who are just like not in the rotation at all for most of the season. Right. And it's tough when you have like Jalen Brunson, basically matching Donovan Mitchell's production and Dinwiddie's essentially matching Bojan's production, although I think Bojan's probably been better. But then, yeah, I mean, you're getting nothing offensively out of Gobert. Um, he has 13 points total in two games. Um, just cannot get anything. So when that's the case, yeah, and then Conley, Conley, man, it's just it's tough for him right now. Um, and I think that was that's that should have been more of a concern. I think heading into the series and something that probably needed to be talked about more, although the jazz continued to play well, was just like, if Mike Conley is not going to be that reliable third slash fourth option, along with Gobert, mm -hmm. like what are their chances really? Especially because Clarkson's not necessarily like, right. you know, an amazing playoff player. I think you can draw some parallels to the jazz and the bucks and, you know, Giannis is on a different level than, than Mitchell or Gobert. But if you say Mitchell Gobert is there, Giannis Middleton, they brought in Mike Conley to be their Drew Holiday, you know? And I think at the time, you know, Conley's a little bit older, but those guys have kind of had very similar parallel careers where they're always, you know, they're always on good teams, but they were never really raking in the all-star bids, kind of always a cut below the elite guards. And I think a lot of people would have said they were very comparable players. You know, maybe most people would lean toward Holiday, but I, I think at, at their respective peaks, it would have been pretty close. Um, and look what Drew Holiday's done for Milwaukee, and and you know, like not to like dog on Conley, but it, he just hasn't had that same type of difference making ability. No, they they got Conley like two years too late. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I mean, he, I, I, and if I correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the last couple playoff runs or last couple seasons, he's had the hamstring injury pop up at the wrong times. Um, I don't know. It's, it's been like a Chris Paul light, I guess, in in terms of running into injuries at the wrong time. Right. Um, let's talk Nets Celtics game two on Wednesday. We get a nice two game gap, uh, to, to decompress after what we saw on Sunday afternoon. That was clearly the game of the playoffs so far. Um, and, and this is definitely the series of the playoffs. I, like, I don't think anybody's allowed to say that there's any other series that they are watching more closely or is, is more fun. Like I agree. Grizzlies, Timberwolves, that's a fun series. Uh, you know, Dallas, Utah has been fun. The Warriors are fun, but this is, this is an Eastern conference finals in round one. And I, I think, like, could game one have lived up to the hype any more than it did? <laughs> uh, no, it couldn't have. I, I don't know. I don't know what, what more exciting of a game there could have been. Yeah, I mean, I the one thing, and I, I was telling Jeff uh, on XM earlier today about this, the, the one thing that, you know, it's going to be hard for me to put this behind me is, you know, you know my love for Mike Breen, you know, longtime fan. Mike Breen completely botched the call of that yeah. game. I, I was confused as a viewer at home. Um, you know, he, he did atone for it. I, I could tell he felt bad. I, I don't know what happened. There was a lot going on. I'll give him that. But, you know, the Celtics jumping around on the court celebrating. Anybody who was watching on TV, like I, the, the benefit of the doubt I'll give him is that maybe his angle, he couldn't see like the lights, uh, you know, behind the backboard that, that light up when, when the clock hit zeros. But the Celtics celebrating while Mike Breen is yelling, they're waving it off. They're waving it off. <laughs> I, I was so confused watching that at the time. Yeah, I think... I I heard someone say that he was probably getting confused about the ref wanting to review it. Yeah, and he was because you the have ref, to. 
Yeah, I think the ref was is supposed to do like the review signal, you know, the waving the finger in his hand, and he was he was almost doing like the uh, NFL like the play is over uh, yeah. in, indication, you know, with like the kind of ha- waving your hands above his head. So I, I understand that, but to me, it was so clear in real time that he got it off that like right. watching it live, there was no question that he laid it in. But you know, Mike Green and I guess the ref were so adamant that it was close that it, it caused me to second guess whether he got it in there in time. Yeah, that was that was tough. Um, but I mean, <laughs> took it not, it took it like ruin the game. Obviously, it was incredible. Well, um, I, I don't know. It might have. No, it did not. But, of course. <laughs> um, you know, Ky- <laughs> the Kyrie aspect of this game or this series has gotten very bizarre very quickly. Not that I, not that it was going to be normal to begin with, but he's already been fined fifty thousand dollars for. He's basically just been like smack talking fans and throwing up the middle finger to like half the crowd. Um, the middle figures the, behind the head. That, that was a, a serious move. Yeah. Um, I don't really know what's going on with him, man. It's uh, bizarre. But he still put up 39 points. Uh, did it, did it, made some amazing plays as well. Like, it's it's just, it's like, that's who Kyrie is, right? Mm-hmm. So we shouldn't be surprised. But it's very bizarre, like, game one of a series that this sort of thing is already happening. This isn't like game seven and he's just tired of the fans already. Right. Uh, this is game one, and he's already kind of becoming like unraveled. I, I tell you what, it's not going to slow down either. No. I think it, you know there there may be some fan bases that would get it out in game one, and and after that it would be fine. But I saw there were uh, fu Kyrie chants at the Red Sox game today, uh, <laughs> in, in anticipation for game two tomorrow. Uh, it's not it's not slowing down. I'll tell you that. Um, one thing I thought was interesting was uh, you know Woj was on one of the ESPN shows either this morning or, or yesterday. I'm not sure when this aired. Um, but he, he made an interesting point that he thought some of the hatred uh, directed toward Kyrie. And I think he was making more of a bigger point of, you know, fan player interactions at arenas. And he, he basically said that he thinks there's going to be more vitriol between fans and players with the onset of gambling and specifically in game, you know, live betting uh, where a lot of fans in, in States where that's legal are, you know, placing wagers on that quarter or the next play even, or the next basket and I, I just wanted to, to kind of throw that out there, see what you thought about it. I, to me, I don't think that's where any of the Kyrie stuff stems from. I think it's pretty clear uh, why Boston fans dislike Kyrie. Uh, but, but in general, I, I think it's an interesting point by Woj. We're going to see more of this in the league. Nothing to do with – there's a different dynamic with Kyrie Irving in Boston. Mm-hmm. But as gambling becomes more prevalent in the arena, people gambling on almost everything, everything that goes on with the game and they're drinking – Players, organizations, and you talk to them, they already feel it in the arena. And when people are losing money in real time and they're pointing to a player on the court that said, hey, I bet you to score more points in the second quarter than somebody else and I lost, you're adding an element to that that we're not talking as much about but is a real factor in this league. And I think you are going to see more instances of of fans being even more vitriotic toward players in this league. Part of me wonders how many people are actually doing that. And I understand that part of the argument is like, well, more and more people are going to do it when it becomes more and more common. That's true. Um, I don't know. There are always going to be some people like, I'm sure it does happen and I'm sure it will happen. I think part of the part of the debate is like, does it really matter if it's like, does it only matter if it's the people like so close to the game, you know, that, that they can, basically yell at a player like if some guy in like the 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 upper deck bet thirty dollars on the half the first half spread and it doesn't happen like okay like is, is anything gonna happen do that so i think it i think this just comes down to like people who are sitting so close that they can just like yell and get a player's attention and they bet so much money that they really care and I just feel like the number of people that that is actually like that might be like ten people in any given stadium. Um, so I, I don't know, man. Like if you if you go to a Bucks game and you're spending, I mean for a playoff game, let's say you're spending like four hundred dollars for like a ticket in the middle of, like not even that good of a ticket. How much are you really gonna bet on that game? Also, in addition to your parking and your food and your drinks. Like, you'd be like, yeah, I'll throw in a $200 bet and then get really mad about it if it doesn't happen and, like, scream at somebody. I I don't know. I, I tend to side with you on this. I, you know, it's hard for me to imagine that 
you know, enough people are, are betting on these games. Um, you know, maybe, maybe 10, 15 years down the road, if it gets to the, if it gets to the point where it's proliferated, uh, like fantasy football, you know, where it seems like everybody, you know, has at least one fantasy team, but yeah, I mean, I, I think to bring it up in the Kyrie context doesn't really make a lot of sense. I, I think it's making a mountain out of a molehill because yeah. I, to my knowledge, like, has this been really that big of an issue this year? I don't know. I mean, it, it feels like yeah. every year you get like five to 10 instances where, you know, fans going back with a player, uh, you know, LeBron had like that fan kicked out in Indiana. He's, he's usually good for one, one or two of those per year, but yeah, it, it, this seems like something that you should say when there's like a notable uptick in these type of interactions. And at least from what I've seen, that hasn't been the case. Yeah. And bring it. Yeah. And specifically with Kyrie obviously has nothing to do with, with gambling. Like it's such a weird, like if this started happening at like a Indiana Charlotte game with like 4,000 people there and someone is like screaming at the top of their lungs at like, you know, uh, I don't even know for like Mason Plumley not hitting his assist on his uh, is over for assists. Like, yeah, yeah then we'll have some, <laughs> then it can maybe be a discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It, I think when it, when it starts infecting like the lowest profile games, that's when we'll know right. that maybe there's a gambling issue uh, afoot here. Um, all right. We're, we're a little bit short on time. I want to talk about Sam Presti did a like two plus hour exit interview yesterday that I, I was reading about in the Oklahoman. Uh, there was a, a wide ranging uh, number of topics were covered here, but the number one thing that stuck out to me is he said, point blank, the Clippers have the best roster uh, and they'll win a title. And then he corrected himself and said, I think they're going to win multiple titles. So there's a lot of layers here for one, uh, the Thunder own several picks of the Clippers over the next decade, <laughs> uh, which I thought was, you know, this was not noted in the article, which I, I thought was very relevant. Um, and two, like right away, I was like, is that true? Like Sam Presti is regarded as one of, if not like the smartest basketball mind when you're talking about front office guys. So, you know, him saying something like this, you don't take it with a grain of salt, but I, I don't like, does, I wouldn't say the Clippers have the best roster. Maybe you can make the debate, but um, obviously you're talking about Paul George and Kawhi coming back healthy, but what does Kawhi look like at this point in his career after all the injuries? Like I, I thought that was just kind of a strange comment to make as if it was not debatable. I agree because I do. I think it is debatable. Um, you know, like Kawhi's health also has to factor in. Like if he says, Oh yeah, everybody's healthy. Like guaranteed then like, yeah, maybe. Um, but I don't know. Like they've gotten decent stuff from their role players, but it's not like the role players are like amazing. Um, yeah, I know I, they're well coached like that matters. I don't know. I, I think that's a comment you make if you have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and then you also have like a Tyrese Maxey type. Yeah. You know, like right now, like the Sixers at full strength versus the Clippers at full strength. I think the Sixers have a much better roster. Uh, top to bottom, yeah, because if you're like, well, Harden and Embiid versus Paul George and Kawhi, let's say you think that's pretty even, sure. then you start going, you start going like Tobias Harris versus Marcus Morris. Well, it's probably Tobias Harris, and then you yeah. start going like Maxi against Reggie Jackson. Well, it's, it's yeah, you know, yeah. So I agree with you on that. Uh, maybe Presty just like really, really likes Norman Powell or really likes Amir <laughs> yeah, Well, Norman Powell is good. He's um, fine. Yeah, it's just it's not like there aren't other teams out there that have two stars and a decent supporting cast. Like I don't think anybody's looking at this Clippers team. I, I don't think the Clippers are like loaded. I think it's a fine roster. It's not a bad roster, but it's not a roster. Like has anyone said all year? Like oh man, next year, man, the Clippers are gonna they might win seventy games. Like I don't think anyone feels that way. No, because you also have Brooklyn, which I think has to be factored in here. Phoenix, um, sure. you know, Austin. I know people are. Yeah, yeah, Boston, Golden State, even if Jordan Poole, if this Jordan Poole right. thing is real, and if <laughs> Wiseman, or they could trade him for something, like, it just... I think like, Milwaukee has a strong teams. case. I mean, Minnesota, depending on what happens here these next couple weeks, there's... I, I just thought that was a crazy statement. I agree. Yeah, to, to, to state it like a fact is bizarre. Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe he knows something that we don't know. I, I guess, you know, coming into this year, there I, I think a lot of people thought Terrence Mann could be you know, in that Jordan Poole type of category, like, you know, little known role player who takes a big leap, had a couple big playoff games. To me, that just didn't happen. You know, he's not, he's nowhere near that conversation we were having earlier in the pod. No, no. And it's, you know, I, I can understand why people thought that based on like, you know, I don't know. It's it, the people, I think, again, a, f a few good playoff games and people are like, well, next year. Um, and sometimes yeah. a few good playoff games is just a few good playoff games.
All right, we got about four more minutes. So I want to talk about the changing NBA Finals MVP markets, which I, okay. I'd like to think you and I, our conversations on this pod are, are what have you know shifted the awards markets this year. Um, you know, I, I feel like we're personally responsible for Bam Adebayo not being a finalist for Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, but these NBA Finals MVP odds have shifted day to day, if not like hour by hour. I'm surprised how often they're updating these. But Devin Booker now the clear favorite at four to one. Giannis is five to one. Yeah, Chris Paul at plus five fifty. Um, I mean, two of the top three guys being from the same team, I think, says a lot uh, about the you know the odds makers' confidence in Phoenix. But uh, just a couple of days ago, Booker and Giannis were were even at plus five hundred. And to me, I, I guess I'm surprised that they moved Booker ahead because I, I think the thought is, you know, a potential Milwaukee you know meeting with with a team like Philly uh, later in the in the playoffs. You know, with Philly looking so good, maybe that makes the path a little bit difficult for Milwaukee but you wouldn't face them until the Eastern conference finals. And I, I guess I'm surprised because the warriors, I think are kind of the Philly of the West in some ways where there were some question marks coming in and they've looked so good that now, you know, even though Phoenix is, is a juggernaut, I, I think I feel be- much better now than I did a week ago about golden state's chances to knock off the suns in the West Finals. So I, I guess, is, is there any rationale for why you think Booker has pulled ahead? Um, no, I, I mean, I guess, yeah, the, the path in the East is harder, I think, for them. But no, I, I don't. I, again, I still don't like the, the Booker or Paul bet. I just wouldn't do it. Um, I would just rather bet the, the Suns as a team, even though the odds are shorter. I would just rather them take that bet to win the finals. Um, you know, I think now is your chance probably to get Curry or even Jordan Poole if you're feeling insane. Um, but Curry's at plus 700. Um, you know, the way Philly's played, I don't think Embiid at 14 to one's crazy. Um, again, maybe Maxi if you're, if you just want some like longer action at, at, is this 200 to one? Yeah. Um, so I, I think there are some plays to be made, but if you're asking me, like, I, I still can't, I can't do the Booker Paul thing. Like, unless they, they, unless those odds get longer, just to me, it's not worth trying to figure out who of those two will end up winning it. I can't think of a more true 50 50 right. when it comes to a, a team that not only has two good players, but is also favored to win the finals. You know, like, there's, you could always say, like, well, you know, I guess Curry Durant was maybe that first year. Uh, people thought that, but it was pretty clear by the time they reached the playoffs that it was going to be KD if they won. Uh, you know, like LeBron and Kyrie were never really pulled even. Like, and most other teams, like, I guess you could go all the way back to Kobe and Shaq, uh, but Shaq swept all three of those finals MVPs uh, that, that he won with Kobe. So, yeah, it, it is actually kind of crazy because I, I think it's a true 50-50. It, it's totally going to depend on the context of that final series. I, I maintain that I would give a slight edge to Paul just because I, I think he has more you know historical context you know, for what a, a finals win would do for his career. Uh, but it, it is crazy. I mean, it, it really feels like it's a, a an even split uh, between what those guys mean to that team. Uh, also of note, Bam Adebayo, who we said we liked last week at 30 to one, now 35 to one on DraftKings. And <laughs> James Harden, despite Philly going up 2-0 in a series that they weren't, you know, heavy favorites to win, uh, has dropped from 45 to one to 60 to one. Well, at this point, he might end up splitting votes with Tyrese <laughs> with Tyrese Maxey. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, tough to say. Um, but I still, I mean, Embiid at fourteen to one, I, I is enticing, and um, that's about the longest odds I think I would like seriously mm-hmm. consider. I think what's going to be funny is the I think the Celtics Nets odds are going to shift pretty dramatically game to game. Like if if Brooklyn wins tomorrow. I think you, you, like Tatum, who's at 850, and Durant at 12 to one. Like those two might flip, and then if Boston wins Game Three, it might flip back. And I think the same is going to happen a little bit further down with guys like Jalen Brown or I mean Kyrie at eight to one. I think that's probably where I would draw the line, uh, sure. other than the you know the notable long shot on on Bam at 35 to one. Like I, I mean Kyrie was very clearly the Nets' best player and almost single handedly won them that Game One. So we we know he has that in him, uh, but at the same time, like when you're going when you're playing alongside, I, I think not the consensus best player in the league, but close to it. Uh, it's an uphill battle, no matter how well you play. Yeah. I don't, I, that, that's the same problem to me as, as the Booker Paul thing. I'm like, to yeah. me, that's 50, 50 between Durant and, and Kyrie. All right. Let's uh, real quick for posterity. Let's just run through tonight's three games 
Uh, we'll, we'll give your picks and then we'll get out of here. Uh, we'll, we'll go with the spread tonight. So Miami minus seven and a half against Atlanta. Uh, I'm going to take Miami on the spread. I think they what they did to Atlanta. I don't know how Atlanta is going to respond to that. All right. I'm yeah. with you there. I think that number could be higher. Uh, Memphis minus seven at home against Minnesota for game two. I'm going to take the Wolves plus seven. Um, I don't, that's a, that's too big of a spread based on, in my opinion, what I saw in game one, which was Minnesota playing way harder, like out grit and grinding the Grizzlies. Um, and the roster kind of just looking better overall, which was bizarre. So plus seven to me, I'll take that for sure. Okay. I'm with you on that. I, I think Memphis wins the game, but I, I don't think they win it, you know, running away. And we finish out the late game Pelican Suns. Suns are 10 point favorites in game two. Man, I hate the double digit favorite in the uh, in the playoffs. Um, out of principle, I'm gonna go Pelicans plus ten, but I don't I don't like it. I I would just stay away from that entirely. I, I disagree. I'm going the other way. I, I feel like yeah. the Suns didn't play all that well. Uh, <laughs> their role players missed a ton of threes. Like I forget, it was like Bridges, Crowder, uh, Payne, and Craig. Like there was some foursome of role players who went like 0 of 12 from three. They were they were minus 20 on the glass, uh, you know, really basically stopped trying for like the middle portion of the game and still won by 11. So I, I think we see uh, an even bigger route uh, tonight in game two for the Suns, but we'll see how it plays out. Uh, we both got to run. We got news flying in for these games. Uh, I'm going to be out the rest of the week. Uh, so I don't know if you're going to be back in the saddle at some point. Uh, if not, we'll, we'll chat again early next week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.